ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon. This is the Executive Girlfriends Group, and we have a very special treat for our members today. We are going to be talking to Susan Tyson, and Susan is the founder and CEO of SB Tyson and Associates, and she has written a very, very practical book called Marketing Essentials for Small Business, Your Guide to Business Marketing. And, you know, I will just say that having having looked at the book, uh, I believe that this uh, book is actually applicable for much more than just small businesses. And certainly if you're small and don't want to be small anymore, this is absolutely the place to start. Susan, welcome. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. And thank you for your kind words about my book. (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting because small business has an interesting connotation right now. And, you know, we've just come off of a a very, very challenging time for small business. So, Susan, one of the things that we love to do at the start of the show, and again, we have a lot of people who listen on demand as opposed to those who uh, are joining us here live today. I'd love to hear your backstory. And I'm not looking for your resume because people can look at your LinkedIn profile and see that. I really want to know who you are. And, and why deliver this in book form rather than just your normal consulting practice of what you do? Um, my backstory. Um, I'm, I'm not a teacher, but I'm a teacher. Um, I, I have been in marketing all my life. Um, and I, I've just been doing the consulting for seven years or so. But I, I found it's very important when I'm working with my clients that they really understand um, what I'm talking about. And I, so I, I find the teaching side of marketing is um, as important as the strategy and the, the, uh, the rest of it. Um, If my clients who are smart and savvy business owners, if they don't really understand what I'm doing and the reasons why you take different steps, they're not going to be comfortable and they're, they're not going to want to keep moving forward. Um, and um, so I've, I've had enough experience with, with marketing people who say, trust me, uh-huh. um, you know, with marketing people who kind of use the jazz hands, don't worry. Uh, and, and I think that's sinful. So um, I, there you have it. Um, I've, I've always been a, mar- a, a mentor and a teacher. So that's uh-huh. just, that's just come out, um, with this book. And in fact, the book started as a PowerPoint, uh, presentation that I would make with any new client. Um, cause again, I wanted them to understand the steps and the processes and the, uh, the details involved with developing the initial marketing strategy wanted them to understand it up front. Um, and um, I, have, I have always felt with better understanding than I can make better clients. My clients, my prospective clients have a clear understanding of um, all of the elements that are involved with building a basic market, marketing strategy. 
um, the details for what I'm doing. I just feel that it makes them feel much more comfortable and, and much more uh, confident. And um, so, and you know, it, it's, it's not a mystery. There's uh, you know, what, what, what is involved with uh, marketing strategy, but it's, again, it's just, um, I feel that it's important that, that um, clients and prospects under, understand the steps involved. Right. Well, while it's not a mystery, it's amazing how many people jump over the initial steps and, and we're going to go through those. Um, but I realized this when I was challenged by my own uh, board of, you know, why were we where we were after, you know, a number of years of building a product and testing it in the marketplace and going through a bunch of, um, you know, what we thought were the right steps. And it turns out that the market validation piece and, you know, as, as we get down and take a look at the steps that you outline in the book, the very first one that you talk about and, you know, research in general is more comfortable for some than others. And their form of research might just be talking to friends and family. But you actually put a great deal of structure around this first step, which is the interview step. And I interviewed a guy and I was trying to remember this morning the name of the book, but essentially he said, you know, if you can't sell what this is to your mother, right, if your mother can't get it, then, you know, why do you believe there's a market? And I had to laugh as I was reading, you know, who should read this book and you yes. put your mother who is departed and it's the same as my mother is like, she never knew what I did for a living. So, yes, <laughs> yes. yes. But the, the, uh, is so many of the tactics that are involved with, with the basic marketing strategy that it does take an understanding of it. It's, it's, but it's those softer skills that business owners oftentimes I just don't want to mess with. Um, that that the, the uh, business owners oftentimes feel like if they are doing something that's the right thing to do. And, and, uh, and so it's, it's just, it's so common that they, they uh, bypass all of the strategy. Um, and again, that what I, what I, I did in the book is to try to demonstrate that the, these necessary steps aren't that tough. Like you say, with the, the, the interviews, um, the research portion of it, it really gets down to the very basics. Um, if you want to know how your business is doing, you need to ask the question. Um, and and uh, it's surprising how many, um, how many business owners don't want to ask the question or don't think that they should ask the question. Right. Um, and and it's, it's good to, for, for business owners to ask of their, um, their clients, their prospects, their former clients, and also their employees, and to get an idea how they're doing. Right, right. So the next thing is competitive analysis. And one of the things that I hear most often from venture capital companies and private equity companies is that when a business comes to look for funding, they quite often say, we don't have any competition. And you take them through, again, 
you know, a, a very, very structured competitive analysis process. Tell us a little bit about the importance of that, even if you are bringing something new to the marketplace that doesn't exist. Uh, yeah, it's, you've always, you've always got a competitor, even if your your uh, com competition is, um, other solutions, different types of solutions. Uh, there's always, uh, you've always got a, a competitor. Um, and it, so it's really just a matter of laying this out on a, on a, a piece of paper, uh, uh, doing the, the research, looking at the uh, competitors, really drilling down, focus on individual points, um, the, you know, looking at the website and the impressions that you have, put on your customer hat and think how their prospects would react to the co company. Um, write down the specific steps, how they're different and similar to your business. Um, look at their strengths and look at their weaknesses. Everybody, every business has them. Um, and even look how they present the products and the services. Um, too, too often I see companies will present the products in a very matter of fact brochure kind of a way, uh, listing out all of the, uh, the features, all of the, the bells and the whistles of the product and kind of forget about thinking about the benefits. Uh, so this is, this is a good way of looking to see how competition is doing it. And uh, in the process, you start to see yourself, how, how your own company is doing. Right. Well, I think the other interesting thing, and, and this leads right into the next piece, which is the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, or the SWOT analysis. And, you know, I like to look at competition as to pose this question, and it's really very simple. Who, if they had your idea, have the wherewithal, whether it's the resources or the money, the investment, or all three, who could replicate it most quickly? That is your most uh, threatening competitor. So for me, it might not be uh, and I'm in the travel technology business, it might not be Expedia and Priceline, right? It might be Google or Apple, right? Who have actually already written patents about products that they never even developed that have to do with travel booking, right? And, and certainly both of them have deep enough pockets as do Expedia and Priceline, although they've had, you know, very difficult years, uh, you know, with the state of travel. But, you know, I think that competitiveness is way more than features and benefits, as you point out, right? But you, you have to start somewhere. And, and one of the things that I did in my consulting firm was quite often I helped people find tech solutions. So I would lay out the, the features and benefits of all of the competitors. And I wasn't trying to compete in that, in that uh, realm. So it was easy to be detached from that and putting all of the competitors. And, you know, quite often I would come back and say, you know what, there isn't enough difference between all of them, right? And this has been the state of play 
in many industries. So when you're coming with a, a new idea or you're an established company, as, as you have talked about, mm-hmm. companies that have existing customer base, and maybe there's a problem they could solve that they're not solving. And, and the SWOT analysis, I think, is sometimes the hardest thing to do uh, for um, a company to really um, go through. And again, to document, documenting it is critically important, but um, to really be able to document what, what you do better than the competition, uh, what the competition does better than you, um, you know, what can be improved, what, uh, what are people's perceptions in all of that. It's, it's um, so often the, the strategy step that is um, avoided because it can be painful. <laughs> it can be painful to be as, uh, as honest as is required to be able to, to uh, get some good outcomes. And who needs to be a part of that process, Susan, in your mind? I mean, is this something that a CEO can sit on a quiet weekend and do on their own? Or do they need to do it with their team? I, I would recommend uh, doing it uh, a little bit more as a team effort. I'm afraid that um, a CEO sitting quietly alone for a weekend may perpetuate some of the perception problems that they um, might have started out with. Uh, they may not, um, you know, having this conversation with themselves, they may be missing some important things. So this this could be an, it should be an exercise that that the, um, the sales director should be involved with the uh, whatever marketing person uh, that they have that they've been working with, the finance person, um, very important to have them there. And, and, and their customer support people, um, that would also be um, good input on this because the customer support people know what kinds of questions come in um, and, and um, you know, what, what the, um, what's being asked and where the most prevalent problems are. Right, so, right. Mm-hmm. So, so once you've laid all of that out, you talk about core competencies and certainly your strengths and your opportunities typically will show that, but you can also take your weaknesses and threats and, and turn those around and know how you can then target that to become a core competency. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's again. That's just one of the benefits of going through the the process. Is is um, again just really, really examining the business and determining what works and what what doesn't. What you want to highlight, what you want to continue working on, um, and and what perhaps um, is not as important. Um, so again, that's and that all starts to go through again with um, uh, when you get to developing the core competencies. You know, I I think it's interesting because you list as the last item of research marketing goals. And I actually would have thought that that would have been the first item on the assessment side, right? Of actually getting busy about figuring out what your marketing goals are. But you have that as a part of research. Tell me why. Um, It's... um, 
it's really, it does come off of the marketing goals does come off of what uh, the company's financial objectives are. Um, but the, uh, and so the goals would just, it would need to support all of the, uh, the financial um, side of the business. So, uh, mm -hmm. and they would also need to be goals that can be supported by marketing. So, um, and that's why it leads to looking at, at uh, marketing goals like sales awareness, uh, reducing churn, uh, web traffic, and so on. Mm -hmm. Right. So let's dive into the assessment piece. So then these are the things that actually need to be developed based on the research that you've just completed with your team. So it begins with your target profiles. And uh, I, I remember a, a big project that I did for uh, AARP. And uh, that organization is, is actually massive and has many, many different departments. But the executive that we were working with, when I would walk into his office, he actually had these, uh, you know, cutouts in his office. And, you know, I don't remember the names, but let's say it's Mary and Stan, right? And, and they had defined, you know, down to a T what, you know, what Mary read, how old she was, how many kids they had, blah, 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 blah. And, and while I think that that's an interesting exercise, I don't think most of us are quite that targeted. Maybe therein lies some of the problem, right? You know, I, I was uh, teasing you a little bit about the, the book name, right, being for small business. I, I actually think that your target market should be small businesses that want to be big, right? And that the okay. book title should be you know, this marketing uh, roadmap for them for going from being a small business to being a big business. Sure. But for my company, every time I think about how do I target, right? And how do I narrow that? Um, the tendency in all of the programs that are out there right now, all of the, you know, LinkedIn gurus and everybody is, you know, all of this, you know, real uh, detailed micro niching. Where do you stand on that? And, and what do target profiles mean to you? Um, yeah, and um, I'm not not certain that micro niching, as you're talking about, is is so critical. Um, I think that the importance of going through and um, defining your target profiles is understanding, especially on a business to business side, mm -hmm. that you have more than one target profile. Um, there's not just one person as a, at a company that purchases your product. Um, and, and I can say almost across the board, there, is, there are multiple people, multiple decision makers that um, are evaluating your product. So it's a, it's a little, remember that old parable about the, the, um, the fellow describing the elephant, the blind man describing the elephant and depending upon which part of the elephant he was looking at. It was either like a big leaf or it was like a tree trunk or it was like a hose or it was like a rope. It, it, so the different, it, it, there's a lot of similarities there. So um, your um, a CFO has different pain points, different wants and needs, um, different, 
criteria that needs to be satisfied with your product uh, that's different than the CMO, than different than the executive sales director. Um, it and and you need to to uh, be aware of that, and perhaps depending upon what media you're you're uh, using, perhaps you're adjusting your message so that it addresses those pain points. Mm-hmm. Um, in most of your, um, your message does need to, um, I, I strongly recommend that companies look at their marketing messages as um, not um, just spitting out all of the great things your company does and you know, extolling all of those benefits and is, is a company talking to target. Um, it, it really is better served if um, it's more of a dialogue and um, recognizes the target audience's pain points and the target audience's viewpoint. Um, you know, back oh so long ago when I was, was um, in college and taking a business writing class, it was called writing in the you attitude, um, where you're thinking your, your first communication is you as the target, putting your needs, your wants, your pain points in the forefront way before me as the business, as the company. I, I, well, you know, the other thing about targeting is I think it's as important to say who you don't want to oh, go after, right? Absolutely. You know, and, and even in our last phone conversation, uh, just between the two of us talking about my product and some of my business challenges, whenever I'm talking to anybody, whether it's, uh, you know, interviewing a salesperson or talking to a potential investor, the very first thing I have to tell them is, yes, we're a travel product, but we don't sell to the travel industry, right? Because they're like, oh, well, I've got this hotel you can talk to. It's like, well, they don't need us, right? And that's not what we were designed for. Um, or an example of when we go into a company, we don't talk to the chief product officer, right? Because they're geared to say no because their product list is usually booked out, you know, four quarters uh, and, and the last thing they want to do is to entertain anything that's going to disrupt that product plan, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's how we go in with our targeting. So I'm curious that you put targeting and profiling before uh, developing the company mission and vision and positioning. So is, is there a, a method to that madness or was this simply a list of things that needed to be done and for Perhaps you do them in this suggested order, or or you use the order that works for you. Uh, I don't know if I could say that there was a specific order. Um, I do know that, uh, although I do think that if you have a clear understanding who your target is, then it will make it that much easier for you to defend to develop your mission and your vision because by that time you've got your target audience in mind. You know mm-hmm. who you're talking to. Um, it, it could be, and this is just always the way that I've done it and the process that I've always used. Um, and I honestly uh, haven't done it 
another way. I think that if I was to work on a mission or a vision statement for a company uh, before defining the target profile that the, I, the mission and the vision could change too much. So I think that uh -huh. it, it, it helps to uh, build a picture like your AARP guy had the literal picture of who the, the audience is, build the mental picture as to who you're talking to. And then the rest of this starts to make sense right. is, is you're keeping Well, and, and perhaps, Susan, you know, a lot of the work that I've done over the course of my career has been with companies that were either starting uh, a new division or a new venture within the company, or I was working for early stage companies. So the product perhaps wasn't even fleshed out completely, mm -hmm. which is very different than walking into a company that already has an established product or service base right sure and and so they already know who they built it for but you know again the thing that that i think about is particularly now when people are taking a really good look at their businesses i think 2021 is a just a, a very very unusual time uh unlike well perhaps it might be likened back to 2011 or 2012 just after we came off of the economic crisis or maybe you know, 2002 after the, the crash of, of the internet bubble and 9-11 and, and some of those things. But, but in this rebound period, quite often uh, our core business changed, right? Maybe it got a lot better. I mean, we've certainly seen a lot of companies that, that uh, actually uh, resulted in a boom, but maybe it was because they retooled what they had, right? And then there are other companies who really don't, have anything to build on and they have to sit back and say, okay, now what? Right. And, mm -hmm. and take stock of the different components of what they have. So I think that's an interesting juxtaposition for where we are right now. Um, I, I want to fast forward to uh, developing your value proposition and also your brand value statement. And, and you then bring in the unique selling proposition at the end of that. And I think, again, those are kind of a family of things that you develop. When you figure out what your values are, what are you seeing, Susan, in the marketplace of how companies are thinking about their values, particularly right now, right, as opposed to perhaps pre-pandemic? Um, because now we've had our employee bases at home for a year, spending time probably more time than they've ever spent with their kids and their spouses, right? Or their significant sure. others. And, and so are we looking at this slightly differently now than you used to? Oh, I think that, I think that it's, it's more than slightly differently. I mean, even just um, the, the, uh, the idea, the new realization or the coming realization for companies that they don't have to have employees in the office to be able to function. Um, they, they don't have to, although uh, flying to see a client to make a sales call sure is great, but um, they've been able to, with technology, we've been able to take the place of uh, the, the in-person sales calls. Um, I, well, I would question that. I would say, have we really? You know, I mean, really, is this as effective? Right. And, and I would say, because my husband used to always say this, why can't you just have, and he, he didn't call it a Zoom call, but, you know, why can't you just have a call with a prospective mm -hmm. client? And I would always say to him, you know what, if I've met them in person before, 
and we already have a connection, I think maybe you can. But but even, you know, I think about all these Zoom calls and, and there are certain people that I only know through Zoom, right? Mm-hmm. And I, in fact, we've got executive girlfriends groups that uh, members that I've never met, even in 15 years that we've been doing this. Um, but I also think about the ones that I've been in their home and we've had a meal together or, you know, we've done something together physically. And that bond is, is different, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, again, you know, I think as we look at our value proposition and this, this whole concept of being a remote delivery kind of company in both sales and service, uh, you know, we have to look at how, how we can regain what we lost in that face-to-face piece. Oh, absolutely. And, and um, I've had a lot of experience um, working in and running and planning and executing trade shows. And the mm-hmm. same is true there. That um, to, uh, And I've, I'm seeing um, in, uh, on the automotive side, for example, of the business that um, they're starting to discover ways of doing virtual trade shows and um, exploring with the virtual trade shows. But it just, it's still just back to the value proposition. It really, um, I think that we've just come off a year of of, um, a big big shift in uh, values for a company and a big opportunity um, for a company to redefine themselves from a value statement um, uh, standpoint. Um, it just because things have changed so much for their um, employees and their customers. Right. So on, on the unique selling proposition, what do you believe are the most powerful types of USPs? So again, we, we talked about core competencies. We talked about competitive analysis and we talked about features and benefits. But is the, the unique selling proposition is it just a slice of those things or is there something that has emerged as a unique selling proposition that really, no matter what industry you're in, no matter what product or service you're selling, that can really be a differentiator in a big way? Um, and, and I asked that as a little bit of a leading question because I'm doing a lot of work on helping companies become more uh, purpose and I think purpose actually can be that USP. And I'm wondering if there's anything else that, that uh, surfaces for you as the kinds of things that you've seen over all of your work that has risen to the top as, as uh, something that is just unbeatable in the marketplace. Um, a, a unique, I mean, really defining uh, an organization's USP um, provides the reason why, can provide the basis for the reason why uh, a client would choose you versus another company, um, uh, a customer would choose you versus somebody else. The, um, it, it, again, is a way to succinctly describe um, the, uh, the uniqueness of your company um, and um, highlights the benefits of um, that 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 come around because of that uniqueness. Um, and and if your company does not have unique benefits, um, does not have um, 
specific features and attributes that they can point to as being uh, unique within the company and beneficial to a, uh, a client. I, I don't think they have anything then. Um, it, it, it's, I think it's crucial in really being able to build a good sales story. So as we move into the final piece, which is execution, um, you start out talking about content considerations. And, you know, we are at a place right now where we are so inundated with content, uh, you know, everywhere we turn, uh, we could spend every hour of every day in a seminar, a workshop, a webinar, a challenge, you know, a summit, call it what you want. I mean, there is so much content. Podcasts, again, you know, video uh, that you can subscribe to. So what does content mean in this context of your marketing plan? And what are those most important content considerations? Um, I think it's, again, looking at um, delivering what your customer, what your user, what your prospect wants to hear, not what you want to say. Um, it's, it's turning that prism is um, it just so crucial in the midst of all of the noise out there. You know, it's, it's just, it's again that, that um, if you just bought a red car, you are, um, I, you are noticing far more red cars than you ever did before. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it um, so if you can um, adjust your communication so that you're talking to the um, specific um, uh, information that your prospect wants to hear, um, they're going to pay more attention. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's like, as I say, and you don't want to be that blah, blah, blah drone of a teacher that um, used to put you to sleep. You, you want to have uh, information that will resonate with your um, target customer. Um, and saying all of that, it doesn't mean you need a lot of words. Um, sadly, we have grown to be, uh, at least from a written communication standpoint, um, people no longer read, they scan. Right, exactly. Um, so so um, even, you know, as you're building your website, um, chunks, big chunks of content can just look gray to the reader. Um, unless you, you want, you, you, you need to think more in terms of billboards than a, as a, a, a novel. Um, uh, you, you want to, um, but it's also like really just, as I've said all the way through, you really want to just be focusing on um, what your customer, what your prospect wants to hear, mm-hmm. not what you want to tell them. Um, and um, yeah, I agree completely with all of the podcasts and, um, you know, all in the Zoom calls and the, uh, the everything electronic that's available. Um, it, it just wears me out. 
Um, I and right. I, well, it is overwhelming, and you know, I, I talk about it as that we have been sitting at a 24-hour all-you-can-eat buffet for almost a year now, where uh, everybody and his brother is coming out with new content programs. And you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday about how uh, she was talking about uh, helping people with their personal brand. I said, I think what you should be doing is encouraging people to go back into companies, not to come out with yet another training program. Because, you know, I mean, I think we, we actually have right now the biggest glut of uh, solopreneurs that I have ever seen in the marketplace. And it's really hard for everyone to find their brand voice and their brand tone. So I want to I want to close this out because we're we're coming to the end uh, of our time together, Susan. I, I'm going to ask you a little bit of, of a leading question because in the last couple of days we have been in a bit of a firestorm, uh, particularly in my industry, uh, of uh, you know some of our major airlines coming out and taking a stand on a political issue that is alienating. And again. I don't even care what, what the position is, and that's not what this question is about. Uh, I posted a, a question on my Facebook page to my industry colleagues saying, uh, do you think that it was right for the CEOs, and it happened to be at the time of just uh, Delta and American, although United is chimed in now, um, of taking a political stand when you risk alienating 50% of your customer base, right? Because again, no matter which side you're on, if you take a position, right or wrong, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, one of my colleagues said this morning to me, well, you know, uh, and I forget, maybe it was Delta, you know, they wanted to come out on the right side of history. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, that's interesting because that, that puts me on the wrong side of history, right? Mm -hmm. And that, you know, so I think about my own board Right, and you're talking to CEOs and leadership teams who have to answer to someone, right? Investors, mm -hmm. boards. And as we come up with our brand voice and our brand tone, what do you say to organizations that get involved in issues that aren't core to their business? Like all I want of an airline is I want them to be safe. I want them to be clean and I want them to be affordable, right? I don't want them to take a stand on you know, voting rights. I just don't. Sure. Um, but that's me. And I wonder whether as organizations in, in this particular time when we are so heightened and everything's politicized, um, how do you tell people to work on this issue of brand voice and tone um, in such a way that they can have those personal beliefs? And again, I, I don't want to discourage people from having those because it's important to know who you are and what you believe. But as a company who is trying to sell to a marketplace, I don't know, narrowing yourself by 50% just sounds really risky to me. And it, yeah, it, 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 can be, it can be a slippery slope. Um, and, uh, but at the same time, um, making those kinds of, of uh, decisions, making those kinds of pronouncements really does feed into the company's values. Um, and, and does um, illustrate the company's values. Um, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, 
it's a touchy one. Um, and uh, yeah, but the, the company really needs to, uh, in today's environment, um, I think companies need, really need to think long and hard about um, taking a stance. Uh, but uh, if and when they do feel, uh, decide that they feel a particular way about an issue, then they need to uh, support it and they need to support it fully and up and down and throughout the organization. Yeah, because so, I'll tell you what, right now, if I were Southwest Airlines, I would be working really hard on a campaign that says, we want to be in the airline business. We want to get you there safely, you know, reasonably priced on clean aircraft so that you're not going to get sick. And I think they would make killing right in that competitive analysis and looking at this from a SWAT perspective from, you know, because they haven't come out and said anything yet, at least not. Right. Right. But it's, it's, but my my thought is, but that company, um, I just would, would prefer seeing them if they are going to, uh, make a stance, uh, take a position that it permeates throughout the organization. You can't just have um, the CEO say some one thing and the, the company operate differently um, all the way through. Um, or, Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the values um, need to be reflected throughout the, throughout the organization, yes. Right. And so that brings us to the last part of your book and, and just the wrap up, which is putting it all together. And again, I think you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, when you take that information in, and again, you decide collectively on that value proposition, that brand value statement, you know, determine what your brand voice is and that tone that you want to take to have that permeate through the organization. So Susan, I so appreciate you taking the time to spend with us today. And again, this book is a very, very practical tool. You can actually sit down with a pen in hand. And, you know, I think it would be really interesting before getting a group together to actually give them each a copy of this so that they can think it through prior to collaborating, because, you know, a lot of the individuals who are invited into these exercises really don't have the, uh, you know, the educational background to understand how each of these pieces fall, fall together, right? Sure. And so I think that this book uh, is one that you can buy for your, you know, entire team that's going to work on that exercise and again, it's always great to have someone like you to come in and facilitate it because, again, it's much easier for a third party uh, to facilitate these kinds of discussions. Susan, how would people get in touch with you if they were interested in working with you? What is the best way? Um, you can reach me on my email, susan at sgtyson.com. Um, I do have a website. Um, I'm also sgtyson.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, so if you'd like to, Reach me through LinkedIn. Um, I'm starting to meet more and more people that seem to use LinkedIn as their key communication. Uh, oh, I do at, that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, at, I'm on LinkedIn.com slash IN slash Susan Tyson. So it's all pretty easy, pretty easy to find me. Um, and um, yes, I, I invite any questions. Um, if you email me, I'll be happy to send a copy of the book. Of the book. 
Well, terrific. Susan, I'm going to stop the recorded portion of our discussion and, and let those who are on live uh, ask you any questions that they have in, in this last few minutes that we have together. But thank you again for joining us. And for those of you who are listening on demand, uh, we are so grateful that, that you joined us. And this will be posted on the Game Changer website, uh, hopefully uh, later today. Great. Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas, inspiration, innovation with Chickie Fitzgerald. Like what you just heard, visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business.